This morning we'll be going back to a teaching that Susie shared with us a few nights ago. It was the teaching on the four faults of natural awareness. And it was these four phrases. It's so close you can't see it. So deep you can't fathom it. So simple you can't believe it. And so good you can't accept it. This teaching is a actually a rendition from a text called the Amulet Mahamudra, and it's uh, from uh, Niguma, who uh, some believe was this uh, actually this mysterious Kashmiri uh, woman woman from uh, the 11th century, who is thought to have taken the form of the Dakini Niguma. And she actually was one of the founders of the, the Shangpa lineage of the Kagyu tradition in, in Tibetan Buddhism. And I do want to say I'm grateful to the, the translator interpreter, Sarah Harding, who wrote an entire book about uh, Niguma, the Lady of Illusion, and, and what she's given us. And I find these, these, these four simple lines so helpful for, you could say, our, our practice, our Theravada perspective on all of this. And so we'll be utilizing these in the, the guided, and then I'll, I'll share some reflections that might be helpful for your practice. So again, they're so close you can't see it. So deep you can't fathom it. So simple you can't believe it. And so good, you can't accept it. So at this, this point, I invite you to allow your attention to come inward. We'll begin to, to sit together. And I invite you to begin with something very simple. Just feeling the body sitting. Just a general sense of the body sitting. And now allowing for a quality of relaxation in the body. Relaxation is so important for this practice.
And it might be relaxing certain parts of the body, allowing the hands to relax. Or maybe the shoulders to drop. Or allowing the pelvic floor to settle downward and open. Relaxation, yet remaining awake. I now invite you to take some time with this process of settling in. Opening the space for samadhi, even if it's just a little bit of samadhi, allowing the heart and mind to collect. Maybe using some kind of anchor, bringing the attention to the feeling of the breathing, receiving the feeling of the breathing. Or maybe what you use is the feeling of the entire body sitting. Or maybe what works for you is settling into and receiving the activity of hearing. Utilizing what feels effective for you.
Continuing with this settling in. Keeping it simple. Receiving the feeling of the breathing or the feeling of the body or the activity of hearing. Opening, being awake to. Right now, I invite you to begin to broaden the attention. Having a more spacious quality to the attention is something that is effective for you. Broadening, expanding. or what allows you to open up to this practice of awareness is staying closer to the body. Feeling into the body. Some kind of opening 
loosening away from any kind of anchor. and remaining awake to experience. Broadening, opening the attention. Continuing to receive experience. And right now, beginning to rest back into knowing. So close. It knows the sound of my voice coming and going. Yet it's not confined by it. So close, it's right here. Rest back into that knowing. so close you can't see it, that knowing right now, it has no form, it has no substance, it's invisible yet knows. You can't point to it and yet you can rest in it right now, that knowing. 
knowing as sounds come and go, thoughts, sensations, knows these things, but is not composed of them. <coughs> it's so close. It's so deep right now. You might get a taste of this knowing that it has no edges. It's not confined. It knows sounds sensations, thoughts, emotions. It is not confined to them. Feeling that right now. It might feel like it has no location right now. And yet it knows. Resting there. It's so deep. It's so simple, 
just right here, right now, resting in that knowing. Sensations come and go, sounds come and go, thoughts, feelings. There's no other place than right here, right now, immediate. It's obvious. So simple. It's so good, peaceful, release, effortless and natural. so good.
It's so close, it's right here. It knows the sound of my voice coming and going. But it's not confined by it. You can't see it, it has no form, it has no substance. It's invisible yet knows right now. You can't point to it yet there can be a resting back in that knowing. to rest back in the knowing itself right now. It knows all the experiences that come and go, but is not composed of them. It's so close, you can't see it. It's so deep. Right now you might get the taste that it's not confined. It has no edges. It might even feel like there's no location. And yet there is this knowing that's happening. It's so deep.
It's so simple. It's just right here, right now. You don't have to make it happen or make sure it continues to happen. It's completely natural. Not fabricated. So simple, immediate. Right here. Resting back in that knowing. So simple. It's so good. Peaceful. Releasing. Effortless, open. Resting back in the knowing. It's so good.
So again, these these four four faults of natural awareness, the where's the places we can veer off. So close you can't see it. It's so deep you can't fathom it. It's so simple you can't believe it. And it's so good you can't accept it. And I think the way I'd like to begin this morning is just share with you a story that I found helpful in this realm of of beginning to to kind of stabilize this resting in the knowing, this this resting back in in the nature of mind or the nature of natural awareness. So when I was a monk um, in the Zen tradition, uh, I was in the Rinzai Zen tradition, which is around koan practice. So there's a big piece of going into the Sanzen room or the interview room to uh, kind of express or to manifest your understanding of whatever koan that you had to the Zen master. And uh, the Zen master I, I uh, practiced with was a very traditional Zen master. He, you know, he, he died at the age of, I think, 107 and it was kind of pre-World War II Japan. And as a good Zen master, he would um, um, always give us a hard time about all kinds of things. <laughs> and once one was about how we appeared in the interview room, how we were working on our koans. And um, I remember one time he was sharing how off the mark we were when we were coming into the interview room. And this is what he said. He said something like, yeah, when, when you come into the interview room, it's like you're either lost and you're uh, lost in your tears and you exclaim to me, Roshi, I don't understand. I don't understand Zen practice. Or you come into the interview room and feeling exalted and exuberant and you say to me, Roshi, I understand Zen practice. And he said, both miss the mark. Okay, it's one of those Zen stories again that makes no sense. <laughs> but hopefully we can parse it apart because I, I feel like it's applicable to this practice that we're introducing to you. One is the I don't understand of doubt, which you might have felt. Here you are playing around resting back in the knowing or resting back in awareness. And it can be like, is this it? Is this really what we're supposed to do? You know, is, is, this, is this resting back in the knowing? Where's the emptiness? You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm noticing the emptiness. Maybe this isn't quite right. Or where's the luminosity? They keep on using the word luminosity. Where, where's the, lumin, the luminous quality? Where's, where's the bright light? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't feel so responsive. Wasn't Guy talking about it being responsive? Is this it? Is it not it? Maybe I'm not really resting. (laughs) So that's called doubt. (laughs) And what I found so important for this practice is to actually have a tremendous amount of confidence. Just to rest back in the knowing and allowing it to be as it is. Whatever, however it shows up. Really just the effortless quality of just touching the knowing 
however that's happening, in such an easeful way. Because it's especially around this practice that there can be this over-efforting. This is what I love about these statements. It's so close. It really is so simple. This, the knowing, it's, it's happening right now. Like sometimes it's easier when you get up from the meditation cushion and it feels like you're quote unquote not meditating because then you can get a sense of the naturalness of knowing. You actually don't have to be in any kind of particular state to rest in the knowing. A state is just a state of mind that comes and goes. And so sometimes there can be the sense that I always have to be calm and collected to really taste knowing. That's not the case. A lot of times what's happening is we just want to feel calm and collected. (laughs) (laughs) The knowing knows that. The the, the knowing is is always there, whether or through the ups and downs. And I find this really helpful to remember especially when things are difficult, when things are really challenging or when there's dukkha. The knowing is so close then, it's, it's so deep, it's so simple, and it's so good in the midst of that. The, the great uh, Japanese poet, uh, Izumi Shikibu, she was uh, uh, this great poet from the, the 10th, 11th century, um, really renowned I think she speaks, speaks to this. She says, although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. Although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. So even when I feel ruined and the wind is blowing terribly here, knowing is right here too. The moonlight is right here. To taste that. To me, what's so powerful about that is within, sometimes when I'm feeling physical pain or there's an emotional pain, to rest back in the knowing, there's the aspect of that moment that's not touched by the suffering. It's like it knows it. But sometimes you'll get the sense of like, oh, it's knowing suffering. It's knowing physical discomfort, but it's not tainted by it. It's not colored by it. And there it is, right there, the immediacy of it. It's so close. It's right there. So when the wind is blowing terribly here, what's it like to rest back in the knowing? you might notice it's so good. It's peaceful, even though all of experience isn't peaceful. (coughs) 
So having confidence, this is so important. Not getting lost in I don't understand. Don't worry about if it's, you know, responsive or empty. Allowing the Dharma to clarify that for you. This is where faith is so important. The Dharma will clarify itself when you practice the Dharma. You don't have to do that. And what I've noticed is when I start to get that, that's when I have this, this, this such a strong confidence in the Dharma and the path because I know the Dharma will clar- clarify all of this for me. I don't have to work at that. When I'm working at it, I'm just messing things up. That's just my reactivity. So confidence. And at the same time, remembering what my Zen master also said, like getting lost in I understand. Oh, I got it. This is it. This is the unconditioned. (laughs) What done has needed to be, has has been done. (laughs) So with this practice, there can be some really poignant and powerful experiences. And there can be this wanting to really get it, to understand. And what I want to uh, point out about this nature of the fundamental nature of mind or this nature of knowing, as you know, all of us have been talking about, you know, and Guy's talk and Philip's talk last night. It, the thing is, is it doesn't fit into our regular understanding. The way I understand the world it's just a conditioned kind of activity. And that's why there's something so powerful about this is I, I get to touch the mystery with, within my beingness. And it's not going to quite fit into my understanding, at least at first. And so when I have the sense of, oh, I got it, I understand, it's just, it's just the mind confining that experience. Allow this to be mysterious. So a a confidence, but also a kind of humility, which is so helpful, I think, on the path. Also, this speaks to how our minds can so subtly reify awareness. So what do I mean by reify awareness or reify the knowing? My mind is going to make it into a thing. So my, my mind's conditioned to do that with all of phenomena, to make it into a thing. And this can be really subtle. Like over the years, sometimes what I'll notice, especially when in times where the mind is really quiet and collected and still, is there'll be a resting, a resting back, and then it will be a resting back, I start to realize, just in stillness, or a resting back in spaciousness. 
And then there's the moment which is so helpful where there's a resting back and then there's the recognition, oh, this is just the experience, the object of spaciousness, of stillness. And then the next step is so simple because then there's the knowing of spaciousness. Oh, then I just need to rest back in the the knowing of that, the knowing of stillness or the knowing of peace or equanimity. Oh, there's the knowing again. So very simple. There can be a lot of very subtle experiences, of very subtle mind states that we can conflate with the knowing itself. So it's good to have this, just this, this, uh, this humility as we move forward. And at the same time, being confident, trusting that the Dharma will clarify this for you. So don't worry about it. That's why it's so difficult to share about this because then it's like, oh my God, am I just resting in stillness or in spaciousness? Maybe I got it all wrong. No, no, no. Having confidence and and humility, both. Really strong confidence and humility. I think that's why I like this, this phrase from the Zen Master Dogen. This comes from his this fascicle or essay, uh, the Genjo Koan, where he says, there are those realizing beyond realization. So it's most excellent, it's wonderful if you're having these realizations about awareness, the nature of mind, the knowing. Those are important, they're significant. And then there's the need to keep on realizing beyond realization, beyond that realization. Because it's so deep, you can't fathom it. So again, confidence, trusting this practice. We're teaching it because even in these places of resting and stillness or spaciousness or simple mindfulness, that is wholesome, that's onward leading, it's leading to non-clinging, to trust that. So what I love about this practice is, that I, is, is the feeling sense of how good it is. It's so good, it's wholesome. You don't have to worry about that. It, it can help disrupt our habitual ways of being in this world in in, in so many different ways. So having that confidence and having some humility. Yeah, so it's so close you can't see it. It's so deep you can't fathom it. It's so simple you can't believe it and it's so good you can't accept it. So now we have some time if you have any questions or comments or reflections.
My name is Whitney. And um, I noticed uh, the word it's on a subtle level. Um, my thoughts proliferated around what's it. And then it slightly took me away from resting my mm -hmm. mind. You know, I was like, it? It's, where's it? And I guess my question is around the it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, maybe a few things about that. And I, I want to start with a, a quote. <laughs> I, guess, I think the Zen tradition is somehow bubbling in my, my heart this morning. But there is a <laughs> Zen master, Dio Kokoshi, who, and remember how irreverent Zen can be. He said, um, when the Buddha opened his mouth and spoke, he filled the, the, the path with entangling briars. <laughs> so if that's what the Buddha did, think about what I'm doing. So just... <laughs> so, so you felt one of the briars or one of the walls. Yeah. This is so. <laughs> so that's that's just one. That's probably the clearest answer I can give you. And it's <laughs> and also what a tricky realm this is in terms of language. And it, just one thing about which I find is interesting about language, and this has been helpful to see how my mind's been habituated. Is one of the biggest things that's habituated my mind is language. So the way it's been habituated is to think, is, is there's a thinking that, that with each verb there has to be a subject. But there's nothing in my direct experience that necessarily confirms that. It's that I've learned a language and then I impose that upon experience. So I think it's cool that it, it, was, it, it didn't fit right. Like having a subject to um, so close didn't fit. Why? Subject doesn't fit there in some way. So there might be something really, yeah, insightful about that, that not fitting. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry for the briars. <laughs> uh, my name's Tony. Um, I appreciate your talk this morning, Brian, and, and yet still feel compelled <laughs> to, to share my comment. Um, when I practice around questions of what is aware, what is empty, there's an experience of openness and possibility. There's a felt sense of this is truth. Mm -hmm. When I practice around what is responsive is a different experience. It feels constrained, maybe conditional. There's a sense of it being a placeholder almost to make the other two qualities perhaps more palatable that there's something there that needs to be allowed, but also needs to be let go of. 
And yet I'm also aware that in my conditioned mind, things like compassion are compared to, comparatively to openness or, or the thinking mind being boundless or creative, that compassion is something that is a struggle for me in, in a relative sense. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I guess I'm also, I picked up in, in, your, in your talk about the sense of when there's deep and profound dukkha, how this may impact, you know, the confidence or even the humility around these, these qualities. And um, Guy's book has been incredibly helpful, but I even noticed that there are only a couple pages that point to responsiveness. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if you had any insight or thoughts around, I guess, the felt sense and in, in the difference of the arising uh, when contemplating those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so when you you share that, just a, a few things kind of bubble up around that. Um, uh, one is just the acknowledgement, the embodiment of this the heart of this practice is difficult. And in some ways, what I, when I hear you express that, it, it, uh, it's acknowledging that, yeah, this is, this is challenging in this way of really having that, that deep recognition of the knowing and also being in touch with the responsive quality that comes out of it, namely the one that's often talked about is compassion. So I think that's one aspect. Um, so when I say say this other thing, I'm not trying to dis- diminish that or say that, that that's not going to be a part of it. But um, sometimes for me, the the feeling of responsivity is the is the kind of the the conditioned, wholesome manifestation of of the knowing itself. It's like it's it's taking form in this way. It's it's manifesting in this way. It's, it's uh, taking that form. So it's going to have uh, some of the flavors of that which is a little bit more fabricated. Like the, the heart is, is, is fabricating in a particular way that's wholesome. And so it's the, the kind of the, the, the carrying forward of this maybe in a more embodied way. Um, so that's one thing to just to be aware of is if, if it has a different flavor because of the challenge or difficulty or because it because it's the 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 manifestation of, of, of the knowing itself in this way. So that would be my curiosity. Um, and also I, I would be curious how this gets clarified with the continued curiosity about touching the knowing in the midst of, of difficulty, if that will help clarify this with that exploration of when, when the winds are ter- blowing terribly here, noticing that the moonlight is coming through the cracks as well. Yeah, what will come of that? Yeah, yeah thank you.
think this will be the last one and then we have some announcements and we'll go from there. Hi, Brian. My name is May. Um, uh, my question has to do with knowing the knowing versus knowing the object. And I find when there's hindrances present in the mind, like there's sleepiness or restlessness, so the wind is coming through the, the cracks in the roof, um, I find that knowing the knowing, it's, like, it's such a, a subtle object, it's very difficult to, to attend to the knowing of the knowing in those moments rather than just knowing sleepiness or mm-hmm. thinking or like, to actually just note the object. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. That it's, it, it, Can you speak to that? Like, I'm, I'm curious how to work with hindrances um, with this spacious awareness uh, and staying with the knowing of the knowing as opposed to just connecting with objects. Yeah. So two things. It depends upon, for me, the intensity of the hindrance. When hindrances are stronger, I just go back to good old mindfulness and all the tools that I know. So that's, that's important. Like we, We're not here to throw out all the tools and all the facility that you have with this practice. They, they, they create the foundation of what we're exploring. So when hindrances are stronger, that's what I need to go back to. I'm still working on this. When they're, when they're not as much, then, then I'll... I'll quote unquote play with it, play with um, them with keeping some of these kind of gateways in mind. So one for me is like the feeling, so sometimes I do this around the activity of hearing or moving, is getting a sense of, oh, the sound of my voice, it comes and goes, but the knowing doesn't seem to have that flavor to it. Oh, interesting, there it is, there's the, then I rest back in the knowing with that, noticing that aspect of the knowing. Or with um, like physical pain or when there's emotional turmoil that's not too intense. It's like, oh, there's suffering in that. And it's interesting, the knowing doesn't seem like it has the flavor of suffering to it. So I'm, I'm using those kinds of things to help me rest back in the knowing. So that's one thing. And then the second piece is this, this sense of, and this comes from uh, Tukul Ergen Rinpoche, is this um, short moments many times. So I'm just trying to touch it. Just try to touch resting in the knowing. Or then like, oh, I need to really stay here. Just, just a moment of touching it. And then another moment. And then another moment. Really short moments. And then many times. And that, that makes it an easier, easier gateway to it rather than I really need to land the knowing of the knowing. So you might want to play with, with those. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so some announcements for this morning. Uh, once again, the, the council house will be available this morning because we're doing the individual practice discussions. And it is uh, available throughout the day other than when the affinity groups are going on. So in the, the, the affinity groups that happen at 2.30 and 6.45 only go to those if, you're, um, if you identified with those particular uh, groups or communities. Also for the individual practice discussions, uh, Don and Ying will once again be sitting in on the individual, uh, some of the individual practice discussions. 
if you feel okay with it, it really is helpful because it, it really helps with their learning process in terms of uh, moving into more of uh, more and more of the role of teaching. And at the same time, if for any reason that feels uncomfortable, you know, both of them are fine just to say, you know, I'd rather just meet with the teacher one-on-one. That's okay too. So you get a sense of what fits for you if you have an individual practice discussion today. Also, if you notice that your name was not up today on the, for the individual practice discussions, we're having three days of the individual practice discussions. So that means that it will um, show up tomorrow. If it's not up there tomorrow, that's when you write the note and say, yo. <laughs> and then uh, also tonight, it's going to be a, a question and answer format. So we're just inviting you to reflect on some questions you might want to bring this evening. Um, uh, bring them with you rather than leave us notes of the questions. You can just bring, bring them uh, with you to the, the evening Dharma talk. And then also for the, uh, the afternoon session, uh, uh, Philip is going to be leading that and he needs some uh, uh, readers. We're going to be utilizing the study guide. So he needs six people, six readers of the study guide. And, and what he'd like to do is right now to meet with six volunteers. He'll meet with you up in the upper walking meditation hall. And if you have your study guide to bring that with you, if you're one of the volunteers, we'll get to the volunteers. And he'll go over with you of, of how um, uh, you could help uh, with this afternoon. In light of that, are there six people who would be willing to... Oh, wow, there's a lot. Okay. Okay, so one... Two, three, four, people are now five, and then back there, six. Make sure to bring your study guide up in the uh, upper uh, walking meditation hall. Um, I think there was some question about who was number six. <laughs> number six, I think it, <laughs> um, the, the man with the ear, yeah, 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 great. Thank you, Ross. Ross, thank you. Uh-oh. You're number three, <laughs> I think. Well, it will work out somehow. <laughs> okay, may you have a, a fruitful day of practice. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.